fighting you just got hit by an island, man. Yeah, there's nothing else I need to set up. So, uh, you you all set, buddy boy? I'm ready to go. All right, let's do it. Hello, listener. Welcome back to the Cape Swoosh Podcast. I'm Jeremy Doyle. And I'm Matt Delhauer, and this is the first time we recorded this. Oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, fun story. Sometimes there are hiccups with recordings. So we recorded this once before, and Jeremy was silly and did not adjust the mic volumes properly. So we're going to do it again. So here we go. Take two. Hot take two. Hot take two. (laughs) This is going to be more of hot take two. Yeah. (laughs) Because as we found out from the first recording, neither one of us knows that much about The Flash. Uh, I, I, in the first recording, I admitted I don't know anything, and I am blindly prejudiced against The Flash. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited to learn more about, by the way. (laughs) All right. So today, dear viewers or listeners, thank you for watching our podcast stream, I guess. If you're just staring at the waveforms, I mean, whatever you float your boat, man, it's it's cool. I'm not going to argue against it. (laughs) Uh, We're covering Flash, Terminal Velocity. Terminal Velocity. Which is... um, going to cover some hot takes from Matt and I, including things like 90s DC. Mmm. Mmm, and 90s DC. Can't get enough of it. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, the author of this just happens to be one of our favorite authors. Yes, uh, Mr. Mark Wade, or Uh as I like to call him, Mark Wade. (laughs) (laughs) Mark Wade, or as he was formerly known, Mark Mark Wade. Wade. All right, so uh, let's talk about Mark real quick. Sure. Even though he was not the only person on this, obviously. Of course. Uh, this is about halfway into his run on The Flash. He yeah. was on it for eight years. Yeah, he's he's not nearly as up his own ass as, like, say, Frank Miller. Right? Or Frank Miller. <laughs> <laughs> or insane, like, Frank, Frank Miller. Miller. Or Alan Moore. But that's more Frank Miller. No, I was going to say, it's Frank Miller's insane, Alan Moore's just kind of a douche. Like Frank Miller. But, uh, yeah, I, I can't honestly think of another writer-artist other than him. <laughs> I mean, it's the 90s, so, like, any of the writers who were hot at the time, like, I mean, he wasn't... No, he was a writer, Liefeld. Yeah, yeah, he, um... He wrote... Quote-unquote. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. As we covered in previous episodes, we have feelings about Liefeld. I'm sure he's a good guy, maybe. I'm sure he is, too. He's really excited about how successful Deadpool is now. Yeah, I bet he is. You know why? Because he makes so much money. Money. Give me that money. <laughs> but, yeah. We're talking about Mark, so. Yeah, let's let's go back. I wanna, <laughs> let's go back I don't, to Mark. I don't want to dive into the, the, the anger train. Yeah, well, we'll jump into the 90s salt. Yeah. Because there's some, there's plenty of 90s salt to go around with this one. Some of the other creators on this one, in addition to Mark, were uh, there were four artists on this one? Uh, it was an artist and issue, yeah? Uh, pretty much. Two of the X-Men writers were right before, uh, which were Carlos Pacheco and um, Salvador Laraca. X-Men artists. Yes, thank you. You're welcome. I appreciate you. I love you. <laughs> um, uh, and... The problem is, is that I recognize the names, but I can't honestly remember where they fell in the timeline of X Men because we're 
we're just coming out of the Claremont era with X-Men for this, yeah? Yes. Um, well, uh, LaRocca and Pacheco, I believe, jumped on X-Men around early to mid-2000s. Is oh, where they were most notably known. Okay, I think this is early work. For I them. mistook. I thought they were. I thought they moved from X Men to this. Oh no 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 no! This is early and early on in their careers. Okay, uh, and then some other artists were. Uh, I pronounced it wrong last time. I'll do it again this time. Waringo, Mike Waringo, otherwise known as Ringo. Yes, I'm not going to go into my whole Ringo star bit this time. <laughs> but Matt, we're missing out. <laughs> I, Okay, fine, but you have to lead me with the, the, the Ringo Award. There was the Ringo Award that was named after Mr. Waringo. Jeremy, do you think Ringo Starr ever won the Ringo Award? I really regret redoing this bit. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, he did pass away in 2007, and the honor is named after him uh, posthumously. And then Oscar Jimenez? I've not researched him, so I don't really have anything to add on him but because he did a good job he did a good job um it's an ongoing run of the flash like this is literally issues like 95 to 100 yeah we're writers and authors jumping on and off all the time we're traveling back to an era of comics that uh, many miss and some never knew which was when your comic book didn't run in the way where it was like okay we're gonna do a 12 uh, issue arc and then that's going to end, and then we're going to start a new arc that might kind of, that might come after it, but essentially is like a brand new story yet again. And then once that's done, it's a brand new story yet again. This was at a point where like you were following the events of what happened last month over and over and over again for hundreds of issues, and every so often you might just have a group of events for like the next four issues all are one storyline, but it's still like five other overarching storylines from, like, the month before are continuing on. Right. And it's weird to think about that, like, this is not... The story we're covering is not, like, an ending point by any means. Like, this is very much a continuation of a story and And progresses. Yeah, it it just gets dropped in the middle of things that were already happening, and by the time it's over, it's like... Because this is this is a story that, in the realm of the Flash, is a huge turning point for the character and the lore of the character, and it feels so weird for it to just be like a yeah, I don't know, this happened, <laughs> just randomly. Oh, by the way, in issue ninety five, the Speed Force. Yeah, well, welcome to the Speed Force. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> this will be important. For the rest of the Flash. But first, we gotta deal with another problem with them Teen Titans. <laughs> <laughs> we will get to Teen Titans. I know soon. we will. I know we will. I'm so excited. And I will do all of the talking don't, for that issue. Don't don't make me be cyborg. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, man, I'm trying to put those days behind me. This <laughs> is like, ah, oh, there's a minority. Who do we have? Uh Eh, Matt can Probably the second palest person we have living in the house. <laughs> oh, I have so much regret with early swoosh. <laughs> but uh, yeah, let's jump into the one name that people will for sure recognize that we've already talked about that we love, uh, Mr. Mark Wade. Mark Wade! <laughs> you know him from such famous features as... Mark, Mark Wade! Wade. <laughs> now, he is a very 
He's probably one of the top writers right now. Absolutely. And has uh, been for a while. Probably one of the most recognizable names next to Brian Michael Bendis and rising it guy, Scott Snyder. Scott Snyder. Still working so hard. I know. Well, I know. all of them are. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Like, once Just... you get known, you are entrenched in the industry mm-hmm. for a long, long time. And I guess I guess you'd throw Jeff Johns on there. I think you can throw Johns on there. I mean, he is the head writer for DC now, isn't he? Um, ugh, I don't really know. I know for a while he was he was very much like the go to. God, what do they call him? He was like chief creative officer or something like that. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, he was he was definitely dealing with a lot of stuff. But I don't know if they ever like called him head writer. Mm-hmm. I think it was just because he was high up enough in the company when they did like rebirth and stuff. They were like, uh, "Let's have Jeff write it," and he was, "No, oh, okay." <laughs> Honestly, Mark's a little bit like that too. Like literally, you just throw him on something, and he's just like, "All right," and he does his research on the book, and then he writes the book. Mark has this uncanny ability where it's like, "We're gonna have you write for this character that is known." But, you know, isn't really getting the popularity we'd like. And he's like, okay, I'm going to fuck their world up. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, okay, great. And then suddenly that character is on the map. Yeah. Which, Terminal Velocity. Terminal Velocity, yes, exactly. Because this was at a point where people were still not used to Wally as the Flash. Because this is after the whole Barry went bye-bye during a Infinite Crisis. I'm going to run so fast that I don't exist anymore. DC's weird. Yeah, I know. He's <laughs> so And weird. what I find really funny is the fact that this was a concept where they did that to Barry, and then Mark created the Time Force as a way of explaining why it happened. That, yes. Somebody decided before the Time Force was a thing that Barry would just run himself out of existence. <laughs> and was like... That's all the explanation we need. Which is really, if you go back and read that panel where Barry disappears, it's really upsetting. Yeah. Because he withers away. Yeah. (laughs) He dies from speed. (laughs) (laughs) And then it just keeps getting weirder because then this is also the one that really dives into uh, the time travel Mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. But we'll get into the weirdness later as we get into uh, complaining about 90s. DC and comics in general. Yeah, that's fine. Mark, who we love oh so dearly, people might also know, unfortunately, because of the controversy happening right now with Comicsgate. Ooh! I will ask you to do this hot take again. Good. All right. Well, I know we are going to have a link in the show notes or podcast yeah. notes or whatever we want to call in them. In the podcast description, I'm going to link a... His GoFundMe. He is currently running a GoFundMe, which, as of this recording, has reached the initial goal that it was set for because he is looking to pay for a legal defense. Mark is in the middle of being sued by one of the leaders of the Comicsgate group. Uh, I don't know the man's name because I refuse to learn it. I don't care about anyone who has associated themselves with the pro Comicsgate setup. I have had plenty of arguments over Twitter and whatever else about it. Uh, Allegedly, they are claiming that Mark showed up at the comic shop that this man either owned or worked at or was a regular at or whichever it happened to be, tore up the place, screaming and swearing at him and threatening him, etc., etc., etc. This is all coming at the word of someone who believes that if they can't be working for Marvel, no one should. 
So take it with a grain of salt. This is the guy running the lawsuit. I also don't remember his name. I don't care to relearn it. Mm. But his whole shtick is that he runs a YouTube channel where he basically just tears into comics and just makes a lot of invalid criticisms regarding characters' backgrounds and ethnicities and things like that. Mm -hmm. Like, just a lot of unnecessary and bigoted humor. It's, as I've said previously on the internet, there is nothing like watching nerds decide that if something they love is not the exact way they want it to be, it should be destroyed. Yeah. And I have never seen a greater example of giant baby human adults. That's what I'm calling them now because I can't rem- uh, I don't want to say man-child because I feel like it's not just men and saying man-child feels no, weird. No, they, they don't deserve the title, to yeah. be completely frank. It's just – it's stupid. I'm. I, it makes me tired. It does. It's just exhausting. I know. It's, it's – just stop it. Because, like, like, Mark is – he's been around for a while. And, like, we were talking about this last time. That it's, you know, even for an artist that's as prolific and as well-known as Mark Wade, it's still such a struggle when something like this happens to an artist. Oh, it's a grind. And that's the thing is uh, the way that the comics industry is built is you don't technically work for any of the publishing companies that put out your work. It is all contract. It is freelance work. You are literally writing and being paid because you wrote. There's no... You know, benefits package, there's no 401k, you can't fall back on things. If he's not producing content, he's not making money. Yeah. And so it's to the point where I know a few years back, before uh, the Affordable Health Care Act existed, there was a non-for-profit that had been started by several comics uh creators i can't remember the name of it now hopefully we will find it and be able to put it into the description as well if it's still up and running where it was essentially they were accepting donations from anyone who was willing to give it at like say a convention uh that it was basically building like this nice little cushion for comics creators to dip into if they needed to in case they had say a medical emergency or something like the house flooded or caught fire, God forbid, with how many of them live in California. And it was just, it was a way for a community to try and look out for each other because they didn't really have that otherwise. Right. And that's, there's really nothing else to say on top of that. Fuck Comics Gate. Like, it's fucking stupid. Go like, make stop, your own goddamn comic books. Stop destroying the things that you like because someone else wants to like it too. Except for whoever's making the the white power comic books. Yeah, they, stop those. Cut that, stop. Cut that shit out, bro. Come on. Just knock it off. All right. You're being a dick and you're ruining it for everyone. So uh, if you'd like to meet, read some more Mark Waite stuff, some stuff that you'll like, uh, his Fantastic Four stuff is fucking phenomenal. Very good. I absolutely recommend his run on Daredevil. Mm-hmm. I believe that he is one of my favorite writers for Daredevil. Uh, he is tied with Charles Soule. I think the only reason that Charles Soule might beat him out isn't even because of the stories or the content. I just love the fact that Charles Soule is literally a lawyer who is writing a <laughs> Daredevil comic. That does that works really well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would absolutely recommend, well, first of all, Kingdom Come, because Capes Roost covered that. And also ah, yes, of course, of course. That is a brilliant artist uh writer i was gonna say getting getting a book that is mark wade and uh alex ross is 
damn, like yeah. that is that is out of the park. That it's and it's astounding. And like even our work aside, like you should go check it out. But your work was great. But like we did some good work on that. That one was when that first came out. That was. I mean, and not to say that it's not impressive anymore, but, like, that was the first time you guys, like, went for, like, the two-hour epic. Yeah. That was, that was like, exciting. That was, that, it was a marathon. <laughs> that was a lot of talking. Um, and also, his run on Archie is still going, and it's still goddamn great. And I blame it for everything that is Riverdale. I mean, you shouldn't, because it's not Mark's fault. Yeah. But too bad. <laughs> Someone's got to take the blame, and it's not going to be me, Jeremy. <laughs> Anywho, so this is normally where we jump into, like, the story of The Flash. But because we don't know too terribly much about the story or the character of The Flash, we're going to use this as an opportunity to just talk about the fucking bonker state of affairs that was a DC in the 90s. See, what I love is is that if we were in any way professional, we would research this shit before we recorded. Fuck no. No. <laughs> we'll just outright admit, I don't know crap about The Flash. Let me <laughs> bitch about the 90s. <laughs> I mean, we can start with some of the bonkers stuff that's in The Flash, because, like, Flash is primo for, like, the material that you try to explain it to someone who's not a comics book fan, and they just stare at you with just deer in the headlights. It's like. it's to the point where when they started making the CW Flash show, the first season they tried to make it as digestible and approachable as possible with a lot of ols in there. Yeah. But then once they got into the second season, they were like, yeah, people are loving it. We got a lot of the comics fans on board and they want to see a lot of this kind of crazier stuff that we have. They were like, all right, man, let's do it then. We're going balls to the wall. And by the time you hit, like, season three, it's like, and the Speed Force is in there, and Dr. Zoom shows up, but then he gets taken over by the Speed Force and turned into a ghost? You're like, what? Whoa, 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 whoa! (laughs) I just wanted the dude that runs fast! And that's, uh, it's one of the things that, like, you know, I give give shit to the, the, the... the Flash and the comics and everything because it feels like it's it's easy to describe the Flash comics as this guy runs fast and then his bad guy runs fast and now he has to run faster. Yeah. I know it's not fair. It's the same way as describing Superman as like he's super strong and he always wins. It's like eh, sometimes. Yeah, it's just I've never it never caught my attention as when I was younger, so I never really got into it. Like I barely read DC as a kid. Like, I loved Batman, because the comic was out, and the movies were out, and that was great. But, like, I only started to really love, like, Green Lantern maybe six years ago. Yeah, I mean, at least, and feel free to agree with me if it's the case for you as well, but, like, my perception of it growing up was always that DC was always more of the big event book, where, like, the crazy, bonkers, balls-to-the-wall shit happened, and then Marvel was more of the, uh, like, the low-key, like, still... Crazy stuff happened, but like it was the more human stories. Um, I think for what for what it was was that while I definitely do remember, especially in the nineties, we had our giant event comics like you know Bane breaks Batman's back, Superman dies, uh, Hal Jordan destroys an entire California town, and then tries to bring it back with the power of evil. Oh. <laughs> 
That was the parallax story. Oh, okay. <laughs> Got I think, it. I think he decides he's going to try and make, like, a Green Lantern construct of Coast City because it got, de- like, destroyed in a attack or something like that. Yeah. And so, like, he goes insane and is like, I'm just going to create the whole city again. It's like, no, that's... It's not a thing, man. Is that the one with the crazy cover where Hal's looking insane? He's got like twenty different rings on his fingers. Yes, okay. because he he has set out to murder every possible Green Lantern he could to steal all of their powers to try and do this. Yeah, but like for me, I think what it was was that I was always attracted to Marvel Comics because it was street level stuff and humanized characters in the fact that like. I know X-Men was appealing because it was like, there's an X-Men for everybody. Everyone has a favorite and stuff like that. But even like Spider-Man and Fantastic Four and all that stuff, it's just like you had these characters that because, A, they were in a city that existed. Like, you know, we grew up outside of New York. That's immediately appealing. Right. Whereas for a lot of the DC stuff, it just always felt like their heroes were built to be these larger-than-life icon-type characters that because you could never truly feel like you related to them as a person, it never felt like something I could approach. Like, I know nowadays, like, it's referred to as, like, the DC pantheon, and everyone refers to it as being almost like, you know, the Greek gods of old and stuff like that. But I'm fucking six years old. That doesn't appeal to me. Like, I don't... I don't need to be worshipping at the foot of, you know, Aquaman. I I want to deal with the fact that, like, Peter Parker's trying to go out on date, but he also needs to stop the Green Goblin. It's like, oh, man, that's wacky! <laughs> I mean, it is interesting, just because, like, DC, I feel like, did kind of figure out later on that formula of, like, being able to make their characters relatable on a more human level and not just have them be the... Uh, the bolstered godlike figures. I mean, at times I feel like they even still struggle with it. Yeah. Because, like, out of any of them, if there is one that I would say, like, doesn't need to be a relatable character, it is Superman. Because his entire shtick is being the human ideal and trying to make himself into a symbol of what you should aim to try and be. Yeah. To then turn around and be like, we need to explore how isolating it is for Clark Kent to be an alien on Earth. I'm like, no, I don't stop. Like, that's not who he is. This is not a man who sits alone and cries because there's no one else like me. Maybe at first, but he discovers his purpose is taking care of the people on the planet he grew up on instead of mourning the planet he never lived on to begin with. I, mean, I think it also kind of depends on who's, like, with Superman in particular, like, it depends on who's writing him. Yeah. Because, like, there are some great stories about, like, Superman's humanity, like, stuff like All-Star Superman, like, does an astounding job of like, mm-hmm. exploring that. And then you have other ones where he is just the the big blue Boy Scout. Yeah, that's very true. But I, and I think the ones that I really enjoy are the ones that I feel like have the ability to balance that. For years now, I have recommended to everyone that I could ever talk to about comics to read Superman Unchained by Scott Snyder. That is probably my pinnacle of modern-day Superman as it should be. Um, I've heard great things about Bendis' run right now on Man of Steel. I want to read it, but it was also a comic that was coming out bi-weekly, and I don't got that kind of time and money. It's true. (laughs) But, back to the 90s. 
back to the 90s where things were still very much the post-Infinite uh, Crisis mm-hmm. world that we're living in with DC. Yep. So that was like the big event to end all big events. And they're trying to play the uh, what can we do to keep these keep the characters relevant and interesting. Gotta keep game. them fresh. Gotta keep them fresh. Fresh Gotta keep them alive. Gotta keep them fresh to death because it's the 90s. What What do we do with Superman? We gotta make him metal. Yeah. Steel scrape. So we're gonna kill Superman, and then we're gonna have three other Supermen. But none of them are Superman until Superman shows up in his black costume with a mullet. <sighs> and then we're gonna split Superman in two, and one's gonna be red, and the other's gonna be blue, and they both have lightning powers. Did they really have lightning? Oh, DC. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah, Superman red and Superman blue is probably the epitome of just, but why? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's exactly what that feels like. And, like, even stuff with the Flash, like, it feels like, like, with the writing in particular, because, like, Mark does a good job with this, where it's like, it feels like the right balance of, like, the ridiculous stuff is fun enough and just lighthearted enough where it's still, like, fun without being just, like, Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> it's, but, it's not like, so where am I going to put this B-plot? <laughs> right. But you still have your stuff as, like, oh, who's this kid? Oh, that's Impulse. That's Barry Allen's grandson from the future who traveled through the time stream because he did he researched everything that was the Flash, recreated the accident, and traveled back in time. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> and it's, you know, as as we have uh, stated in the previous recording of this, and we'll bring back around again, there are just a lot of moments in comics in general, but especially in the 90s, where that was like the attitude you had to have to the story was just, yeah, I guess we're going to fucking do this now. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, on the Marvel end of things, this was the time period where everybody thought the X-Men were dead and they were hiding out in Australia. Yeah, uh, X-Men were dead and hiding in Australia. I think New Mutants were just starting to join X-Force. They were just on the cusp, yeah. Um, Um, Excalibur was a thing, and I... Love the shit out of, oh, ex- out of Excalibur. Et, no one can possibly say a bad thing about Excalibur without me hitting them in the mouth. I am still going to force you to do cross time caper. You don't have to force Just, me to do shit. Well, no, I know, but the problem is, is that as much as I know you and I both want to do it, that is a book that is so visually driven that I don't know how the hell we would adapt gonna, it to that's audio. That's going to be a lot of narration bits. Like I'm so. Have to- it's going to get to the point where Play literally characters just have to be like, I can't believe we're in London in the 1800s. <laughs> Listen, man. Shut up, kitty. No one actually says the year it is. I made four splash pages work for Avengers Disassembled. I can make it work. That's a good point. In in the world of Marvel, we had, you know, the X-Men were dead. They were militarizing teenagers now. The the Ex, uh, Excalibur was traveling, just gotten done traveling through time. I think this was the point where they were dealing with, oh, what was her name? What was Captain Britain's shapeshifter girlfriend? Oh, that was Megan. Um, no, it was not Megan. Um, no, it was Megan. But her hero, it's not Hyde, was it? But I think I think they were dealing with a weird storyline about her. 
It makes sense. It's been a while since I've read Excalibur. Yeah, no, I'm trying to think back of when I was listening to uh, Jay and Miles go over it. No, yeah, it was just Megan. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> <laughs> and, wh- and what's your superhero code name? Megan! <laughs> Wait. Wait. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what? Was this the time of the Executioners? Oh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> We're about to find out. This Which part. was probably one of my favorite poorly decided on concepts. Uh, let's see. Apparently Stan created it, according to this article. Uh, no, I think it's just because he created the characters. Oh, uh, okay, that's fair. No, yeah, because I remember executioners came along because literally they were like we want to do a book that has all the original x-men in it again doing their own thing and someone was like what if they're superheroes also posing as super villains no (laughs) and it essentially boiled down to the whole point of that book was they would pretend to commit crimes as villains and then they would pretend to catch themselves as superheroes Comics are so weird! And all it was was they were trying to, like, somehow hide their identity while attempting to, like, uh, create distrust among, like, the anti-mutant crowd or something. I can't even remember. I, uh... Oh, no! It was... They were... They were the original X-Men who posed as anti-mutant hunters. Or, like, mutant hunters. So that they could then be the X-Men or the executioners and then and then turn around and be like oh those mutants are going out there and doing this don't worry we'll go stop them so that like no one would come after them here we go got it it was executioner's song and it was 92 to 93 so it started right around the time the flash run started okay you know the one we're talking about because the flash the flash zoom that's my flash sound. I mean, from the reactions I could glean from, like, reading people's reviews of this, because people really love the shit out of this run. Like, mm-hmm. Flash fans are, like, some diehard comics fans. Mm-hmm. Like, reactions to The Flash and the Justice League movie and, like, seeing, like, people really love this character. Yeah, I mean, and the funny thing was, was that a lot of people, I, I remember a lot of people, like, the big re- the big thing they had against Ezra Miller as Barry Allen was they felt that, their uh, portrayal, because mm-hmm. apparently... Gender non-binary. Yes. Was way too much Wally and not as much Barry. Because... that, And this is this is what I'm gleaning from it. I don't know enough about The Flash to be able to be like, that's a good point. But they felt that Barry is not supposed to be as goofy and like like the joking one of the group as much. Or at least, even if he is, it was far more obvious when Wally was part of the Justice League. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of, like, early on, it was very much the shit that Barry was, like, kind of the more socially awkward, like, scientist one. Mm-hmm. And Wally was the uh, outgoing kid who loved the shit out of the Flash and literally recreated the experiment that created the Flash in order to be the Flash. I love how many different speedsters exist. Because they were just like, I'm going to do the same thing he did, and now I'll be the Flash. It's like, (laughs) great. 
I'm really glad whatever top secret experiment this was was also just like published. Doctor Zoom. <laughs> No, it's Professor Zoom. Professor Sorry. Zoom. Sorry, he hasn't gotten his doctorate in zoomology yet. He only went to college for five years. <laughs> Get back to Zoom school, Professor. <laughs> yeah, I do think that Wally just posted that shit on Pinterest or something, and now it's just out there for the world to see. It almost makes me feel like, do you remember in Batman and Robin when they're watching the security footage of... Arnold Schwarzenegger turning into Mr. Freeze. I do. Where it's like he's just apparently trying to create, like, whatever the the cure for this McGregor syndrome was. And for some reason, it caused something to just start sparking and exploding. Oh, and, yeah. And he just fell backwards into the vat. And he just falls vat. backwards into a vat of, like, cryogenic freezing it's, formula. It's something, something. Yeah. It's, it, like, I guess it was, like, a huge vat of liquid nitrogen. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. <laughs> Funny enough, for some reason, when I first saw this movie, I thought it was like chlorine. Like there was too much chlorine in the pool, and that's what turned. And that's blue. what turned him blue. <laughs> anyway, the reason I was bringing that bit up before I go talk more about Batman and Robin as we discuss DC in the nineties, we can go all in on Batman and Robin if we really wanted. To. Was um, I I just assume that that's what happened to Barry Allen is like there's just a security camera that was him like sitting there like messing with chemicals and then suddenly it's like and lightning and God! and turns into the Flash. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> and so everyone's like, okay, so it's looking like he was pouring the blue stuff into the red stuff, and then I have to shove a fork in a socket. <laughs> I'm literally picturing like some. 60s reporter was walking by, saw this happen, took a snapshot, and then Wally got his hands on the picture <laughs> later on. And he's just like doing like a forensics analysis of the photo, being like, aha, it's that chemical. I see. He was working with tap water. <laughs> <laughs> ah, the Brita filter strikes again. <laughs> Yes, my other favorite thing about Batman and Robin, there is a scene where Arnold Schwarzenegger, as Mr. Freeze, smokes a cigar that is the exact same color as his skin. Wait, is it really? Yeah. I know he smokes the cigar, which always threw me off, because I was like, aren't you supposed to be frozen? Like, why are you smoking? Well, no, uh, when I did the, the what the fuck happened for Jock and Nerd, I said, number one, smoking a cigar feels like it would immediately be counterproductive to the fact that you have to remain at a certain temperature to not die. <laughs> number two... Uh, there are several occasions where, like, women who are, I guess, part of his gang make comment about basically wanting to fuck him. Mm -hmm. And all I thought to myself was, that would be the equivalent of, like, sticking your tongue to a pole in the winter. (sighs) That bitch gonna get stuck. Come on. (laughs) I did not want that image. And now we gotta call the fire department to the abandoned ice (laughs) cone factory. Department. <laughs> oh and man! It's just like, oh no! <laughs> <laughs> How did you guys find Freeze's hideout? Well, it was the damnedest thing. <laughs> oh man! Okay, um, the Flash. <laughs> the Flash. I mean, honestly, is there anything else that we want to cover with this? Like, it's the Flash in the '90s. Like. It's Flash in the '90s. It, ex- it it adds in some some lore that you know. I'm sure at the time they were like, "Yeah, that seems kooky and fun," and then turned out to be like 
essential to the character for the rest of time. Monumental to the origins of not just the Flash, but like so many Every Flash. Every version of the Flash. (laughs) But yeah, honestly, that's about all there is to cover. So let's do this outro because we have a fun new update. Update! So thank you all for listening. If you like our podcast, please feel free to subscribe and tune in on... SoundCloud. SoundCloud. On Spotify. Spotify. On Google Play. Google Play. And finally, on iTunes. iTunes! Because my account stopped being stupid. Wow, look at that block of blue in the waveform. Yeah, you're welcome. God damn it. (laughs) I knew I should have set your volume so high. Do you you want me to back off and do the iTunes again? No, I'm keeping it. Okay. As as well as the rest of this. Good. (laughs) All right. Thank you. Jeremy, cut here. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. We'll catch you guys next time. Goodbye. The Flash. The Flash. Woo.